0: This is Eli Lake, and you're listening to The Reeducation. Our topic today is jokes that kill, and why some activists prefer to take this metaphor literally. My guest is Jeff Blair, host of the Political Beats podcast and a contributor to National Review.
1: The Afterworld.
0: That is the opening of a legendary Prince concert from August 3rd, 1983 at First Avenue in Minneapolis. For Prince fans like myself, the bootleg, which is now online, is a grail. It was the first concert which featured the public debut of the music of Purple Rain. This club was a treasure in the 1980s. It was a place where all the barriers between race and sex and culture broke down. First Avenue was a hothouse of creativity back then because it didn't matter if you were post punk, R&B, or whatever. First Avenue was a club for everyone. If I was your Prince back in 1983 was opposed by the moral scolds of the right. His third album, Dirty mind, mind, featured a brilliant piece of punk and rockabilly that described in less than 2 minutes sex with an older sister. Prince played with gender in his stage show, wearing on some nights only lingerie and a trench coat. As he sang in 1982's Controversy, he was neither straight or gay or black or white. In the song we're hearing now, he sang into a pitch filter that made him sound like a woman, asking listener what it would be like if he was your girlfriend. And for all of this, a movement of conservatives demanded that his label, Warner Brothers, place a sticker on his cassettes and record albums warning parents that Prince's music was dangerous to their children. First Avenue didn't care about any of that. Prince was the pride of Minneapolis, and its coolest club would not bow to any pressure from the squares. Nearly 40 years later, though, First Avenue has bowed to pressure, but it's pressure from new scolds, new scolds that are on the left, who claim some pieces of culture— are also dangerous. This time they are dangerous to the marginalized.
2: Dave Chappelle's performance in Minneapolis tomorrow night causing a bit of controversy. Chappelle is slated to headline at First Avenue, but the venue has received backlash for booking him after accusations that some of his jokes are transphobic. Minneapolis council member Andrea Jenkins, who is transgender, says while she is critical of Chappelle, she believes First Ave isn't in the wrong for booking him. They have a responsibility to artists to, to give them the space to um, perform their art. I think as artists, though, we have to recognize that there are consequences to the things that we say. Chappelle's show at First Ave is sold out. Today he announced two more shows at Varsity Theater later this
0: week, and tickets are still available for those. Despite the support from the transgender city councilwoman, First Avenue did cave. Prince is no longer with us, but I think he would be horrified by First Avenue's decision to cancel Chappelle's show. He was friends with him, and in 2013, he even put out a single with the cover art of Chappelle playing Prince on his own Comedy Central show, Serving Pancakes. It's worth looking up. It's pretty funny. More important, though, I have to believe that Prince understood the importance of artistic freedom. He was lucky to reach his creative peak at a time in American culture when it was not unusual for a record company like his, Warner Brothers, to defend and nurture his boundary pushing. And I have to say, I wish Prince was around today for many reasons, but one of them is I would love to see how he would respond to First Avenue's groveling apology for having the temerity to book perhaps our greatest living comedian. Here's what First Avenue said in a statement this week. To staff, artists, and our community, we hear you, and we are sorry. We know we must hold ourselves to the highest standards, and we know we let you down. We are not just a black box with people in it, and we understand that First Avenue is not just a room, but meaningful beyond our walls. The First Avenue team and you have worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country, and we will continue with that mission. We believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression. But in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact this would have. Yuck. There is a lot to unpack in that statement. What First Avenue is saying is that Dave Chappelle's jokes are a kind of violence against the small minority of Americans that experience gender dysphoria. That's what they mean when they say they work hard to make their venue one of the safest places or spaces in the country. Now, his jokes, according to this logic, may drive some trans youth to take their own lives. It may give license to thugs to beat up or murder trans people. He is contributing to a culture that marginalizes trans youth. This talking point, this argument, has its roots in cultural Marxism, which says that cultural products can reinforce or help dismantle the inequities of society. So while the Enlightenment liberal views artistic expression as a matter of personal liberty and an absolute, cultural Marxists consider artistic expression a matter of power. If you produce art that perpetuates racism, misogyny, or transphobia, so they say, that art should be deprived of a platform. And First Avenue gives the game away in their pathetic statement. They claim to believe in the freedom of artistic expression, but they apologize for losing sight of how too much artistic expression can make people feel unsafe well pish posh this is all nonsense because it gives a veto to the most sensitive and humorless among us anyone can claim that a cultural product makes them feel unsafe and sometimes they may be right pious christians didn't like friedrich nietzsche's writing on god or robert maplethorpe's piss christ by the way those are probably legitimately offensive to pious christians many jews would correctly argue that showing Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice stokes anti-Semitism. By the way, the play does. The problem is, is that if this is the standard, that if someone can claim to feel unsafe by a cultural product, by a piece of art, by a piece of music, then all of our art and literature will be bland, flavorless pap. It will be baby food. Besides, Any art that's worth a damn will be dangerous and unsettling to someone. I mean, one can only imagine supporters of Generalissimo Franco complaining about Picasso's Guernica. Come on. This is what art in some ways is supposed to do. It is supposed to provoke us a lot of the time. Another problem with First Avenue's capitulation is that it relies on a blinkered interpretation of Chappelle's actual material when it comes to trans issues. Now, he's made a lot of jokes in his Netflix specials, but his last one, The Closer, ends with a bracingly honest account of his friendship with Daphne Dorman, a trans
1: woman who Chappelle befriended in San Francisco. All them questions that you think about, that you'd be afraid to ask, I was just asking them, and she was answering them, and her answers were funny as shit. The crowd was falling out of their chairs. And at and, and the end of the show, I go, oh, Daphne, I said, well, that was fun. I go, I go, I love you to death, but I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. The whole crowd laughed, except for Daphne. Now she looks at me like I'm not her friend anymore. Like I'm something bigger than me. Like I'm the whole world in a guy. And she said, I don't need you to understand me. I said, what? She said, I just need you to believe, just like this. She goes, that I'm having a human experience. And when she said it, the whole crowd kind of gasped. And I gave her the Fight Club look. (laughs) I said, I believe you, bitch because she didn't say anything about pronouns. She didn't say anything about me being in trouble. She said, just believe I'm a person and I'm going through it. You know, I believe you because it takes one to know one.
0: Notice here that Chappelle is not punching down to borrow a dumb cliche of the moment. It's not even much of a joke. He's telling his audience that Daphne Dorman is one of us. She's a human being too tragically daphne took her own life after chappelle was dragged by trans activists on twitter and she defended him and as chappelle says he doesn't know why daphne Dorman took her own life it could it's and he doesn't blame this on people dragging her on twitter but at the end of the routine chappelle delivers in my view a brilliant joke about his decision to establish a trust fund for the late daphne's
1: daughter what i did is i got in touch with the family and i started a trust fund for her daughter because I know that's all she ever really cared about. And I don't know what the trans community did for her, but I don't care because I feel like she wasn't their tribe. She was mine. She was a comedian in her soul. Her daughter is very young, but I hope to be alive when she turns 21, because I'm going to give her this money myself. And by then, by then, I'll be ready to have the conversation that I'm not ready to have today. But I'll tell that little girl, young lady, I knew your father. (laughs) And he was a wonderful woman. I love
0: that joke. I love it because it delights and surprises. It shocks us with kindness at the end. And I'm not the only one. In the same week that First Avenue canceled Dave Chappelle's show, another club stepped in to host the event. Meanwhile, Chappelle's closer was nominated for an Emmy Award. It feels like we may be moving on, moving on from the moral panic of 2020, that fevered moment when humorless activists demanded that newspapers and streamers hire censors to make sure our news and entertainment wasn't harming anyone. Hopefully the pendulum is now swinging back. And then we can return to a time when everyone understood that when we said a comedian killed, it was just a metaphor and not a statement of fact. Well, right now, the re-education is fortunate to have Jeff Blair, who is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Political Beats, where non-music people who are usually in journalism talk about their favorite artists. I have been a guest twice, and Jeff is really an encyclopedia when it comes to popular music, but he is also uh, at least trained as a lawyer and is a very sharp writer and thinker when it comes to lot of the cultural political issues that we discuss here on the podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on The Re-Education. Well, it's my pleasure to be
2: here and you are uh, needless to say far too kind.
0: Well, so let's talk about the decision of First Avenue to kind of cave to an online campaign against Dave Chappelle. But why is it so it stings so much? Because it's First been, Avenue in Minneapolis. So tell a little bit about why that club is so important. It was both
2: inevitable. I mean, once you think about it, but also it felt like a desecration. First Avenue. For those who aren't aware, for, I mean, you know, it's it's 2022. Kids these days, what do they know about the rock scene back then? Minneapolis, Saint Paul, the, the Twin Cities area it was one of the hubs, the great hubs of music making in the American 1980s. You know, it wasn't just happening in like New York or Los Angeles. You had all sorts of wonderful groups like Husker Du and the Replacements, you know, in the alt rock, indie rock scene coming out of Minneapolis, Saint Paul. And then above them all, off in his own world, you had Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson, who was the, you know, the world conquering megastar, and yet had refused, stubbornly refused ever to like go to Los Angeles or, you know, move to the coasts. No, he was going to stay there. He was going to stay in
0: Minneapolis where he grew up because he was a Minnesota guy. First and, Avenue was like his home field. yeah, and yeah, Minneapolis
2: yeah. was his home field, and there was no greater home venue than First Avenue, which is this legendary venue. I'd been there. my, my wife worked in in the MSP area for a couple of years, so I was out there basically every weekend. i have been to First Avenue at least fifteen times. It's a classic venue, both the the main venue and also the seventh ste- seventh street entry. This is a classic place where, like, you know, all these great bands coming through or from the local scene played. It, it's sort of a legendary place where, like, you know, Prince would hold after parties, you know, like, you know, after show gigs. He'd play until 3 a.m. This is the story of Minneapolis in the 1980s in youth culture. It intimately involves First Avenue and the place's relevance has hung on ever since then. I have, like, if I just categorized how many concert bootlegs I have just by where they played at First Avenue, I have at least 35 shows alone for various groups. You know, because it's that it's that historic of a venue. And so that's just sort of to set up the stage for like, you know, this is a place where like all the great rebels, as I joked the other night, you know, this is a place where the replacements practically had a a betting war going to see who could puke more times on stage during a seventh street gig. Or like, you know, Prince would play like, you know, three hour long after shows doing just truly insane things. And now they're, you know, they're backing out
0: because what some online people are angry about Dave Chappelle. Well, let's unpack a little bit and i want to start with prince because one of the re- prince is important for so many reasons he's such a towering artist but one one thing is you can say you know you've got your t-rex you've got your david bowie which introduces the idea of maybe you could call it liminal gender like the idea of playing around with gender as part of your persona but then prince really does take that and kind of runs with it First of all, you know, I mean, he, he he defied genres, but he was a black artist, often playing for an R&B crowd who, you know, in 1981. And, you know, am I straight or am I gay? If I was your girlfriend a little bit later, he is playing with those same ideas, both in how he presents himself and also the lyrical content of his songs. All right, let's put it this way. The first three albums. Is for all of
2: the songs that his first three albums are sung in falsetto. Yeah. All right. <laughs> he doesn't use his normal chest voice on a single track because that was just not the mode that he was in when he started off as, you know, as a musician.
0: And so in that respect, you could argue that Prince is a, a pioneer for kind of transgender culture in a lot of ways because he did deliberately, you know, he did dress in times in lingerie he did, you know, he, he, he embraced the kind of ambiguity in that respect. And yet, we also know that Prince was an enormous fan of Dave Chappelle and loved his irreverent humor that found and exposed the various raw nerves of what we weren't supposed to talk about. Now, Prince died in 2016, so he wasn't alive for the moment that we're in right now. But I cannot help but think that Prince himself would have said, what are you guys doing? And, you know, what is this? I, I i'm almost grateful that princeton survived so like
2: you're through the yeah. covid lockdown everyone on their computers first of all because he never liked the internet that much in the first place which means that once he finally adopted it he'd do it totally crank style like he he, he developed like a really like crazy twitter account the way james woods did you know you just know it would happen right oh yeah and, and, but, <laughs> but also <laughs> you just know it would be, be like he'd get blocked by twitter eventually for saying something just like like off the charts crazy but
0: and it would probably be related to the jehovah's witnesses or
2: something like that which is also where prince was at the end of the opposite
0: of nato is (laughs) aton
2: something like that or or, you're like how like covid is really a conspiracy you know of the end times and the rapture or something like who knows who knows it would have happened man i mean i I, I obviously wish he was still here but yeah he was it was uh, you know Prince's life operates on a continuum and a, and, and a continuity. I would argue, though, Eli, that, you know, that almost misses the forest for the tree, or misses rather, yeah, misses the forest for the trees. Because I think you could zoom out. It isn't just about Prince being, you know, transgender at the time. What Prince was and what he made his name doing in places like First Avenue, friendly venues like that, where he could get away with what he wanted to do, was being outrageous. Yes. Was being risky. And taking chances and playing without a net and doing what's shocking people, shocking people, offending sh- people, scandalizing the prudes, scandalizing the squares, the blue noses, the moral skulls. Okay, yes, Prince is about, you know, on one level, yes, he was very about sexual liberation.
0: Clearly, I mean,
2: Dirty Mind is one of the greatest albums ever made, okay? We agree title, on this. The title tells you Listen,
0: it. by the way, we did a Prince episode, so you should listen to that if you have. We, we did three Prince episodes. Yeah, we, we did, did three. 11, if 11 hours. Oh, 11 on. hours. <laughs> yeah. You
2: got, a, you got a lot of love for Prince to, between the two of us, okay? But like in 1980, 81, 79, you know, that early era, he was transgressing. He was going for the shock, for the absolute freedom to say everything he wanted to say, complete freedom. Of expression, which conveniently, with all the pushback I got when I pointed this out last night, that First Avenue used to be a venue where you could be a radical free expression. You know, that used to be what it stood for. People were like, well, no, 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 no. Well, Prince loved, you know, transgender people. I'm sure he did. Okay. Yeah.
0: By the way, but, th- but, th- but you th- know th- what, th- he loved, th- but, th- what
2: he loved? But what he loved far more was the idea that you, nobody tells you what you can or can't say. This is a man who went to fucking war with his record label. All right, yep. Warner Brothers for almost half a decade because he just didn't want to be told almost on the most you know simplest you know most petty level things that he could or could not do. Whose side do you think he'd take in this spear? It's not it's not a close call. It was never a close call. And I'm just laughing at all these people who are like instant Prince experts who think they suddenly know a lot more about him than I yeah, do because well. they like the song Uptown that they heard on a compilation.
0: You know, whatever. well, and okay. by the way, this the song Uptown is the spirit of everybody coming together and dancing their, you know, li- their troubles away in some ways. It's like despite their differences, despite their differences, black, white, Puerto Rican, everyone freak is the line. Right. So I want to now zoom out and talk about the cultural moment that we are in it. In are you somewhat? I mean, because we had two pieces of news regarding Chappelle, who has become. You know he is a comic, but he's more than a comic. Kind of in our in our moment right now. On the one hand, First Avenue caves and then you know puts out that terrible you know statement where they say, "Yeah, I you know we like freedom of expression as long as it doesn't offend anybody." But then, Wait, I mean, is that the most pathetic thing? you've Oh, ever seen? it's awful. And then Chappelle gets nominated for a an Emmy for his his show, The Closer, which was also protested by various trans activists. And their "quote unquote" allies.
2: I mean, I feel like the nomination alone is just kind of a giant f you. Well,
0: I mean, and, and then Luis they the won the one this year. So
2: exactly, like like I, like, I don't even know if he'll win. But the industry is sending a message: the people who are putting these things and getting them nominated clearly are a little bit tired of, of, of you know the endless nectering. So,
0: think but but I question. want to ask a serious question: Does that mean that we are in p- perhaps the? wave of of the madness the pendulum swing. Swing. is yeah are, are we in a, ple- a pendulum swing yes
2: yeah, so well it's very tempting to say yes all right and yes we are all looking at somewhat hopeful signs right i tend to think the answer is not yet i think okay. we're, we're getting there what you're seeing actually is the end of the swing and there's going to be a ramp up and uh, you're seeing it in things like first avenue. i mean you know, like there, as as people who have sort of defined their lives around these issues, realized that the cultural moment is is leaving, then they hit the accelerator to get as much juice. Just I'm going to change my metaphor midstream. They want to squeeze as much juice out of the lemon as they can get before it's all dried up. Hmm. And so they're going to squeeze harder and faster. So I think you're actually going to see you may, who knows how soon it will crest November that's an easy place to say, well people are going to make a break after the election results roll in if they're sufficiently apocalyptic. That could be one possible breaking point. I'm not sure where it comes, but I do think you're going to actually see among elite institutions or the places where these people control the levers and can still get you know what they want done, the, the demands are going to escalate mm. until they're no longer given control until the control was taken away from them or or they've burnt down their institutions and doing whatever it is the hell they want to do. But yes, I do think that we're not there yet. It's going to get a little bit worse. Why do I think that? No good reason, Eli. It's just a gut call.
0: Well, okay. So I (laughs) want (laughs) to now steel man it and maybe play the devil's advocate to what, what about the argument that 50 years ago there were Dean Martin celebrity roasts. And you could hear Don Rickles and you know various other comics of that era make jokes that today I think almost universally we would all say are racist, anti-Semitic, inappropriate, and that I've seen some of those Don
2: Rickles roasts of like Sammy Davis Jr. He's just laughing, you know, there like a, yeah, like support,
0: and I'm just like, yo, <laughs> so it's 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 cringy in hindsight, but yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, you got to like look at things in their context, but I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, a venue is not the U.S. Supreme Court is, you know, it's a it's a club that is making their own decisions based on what feedback they're getting from their own community. And this is their little small way of saying we would like to shift the culture so that there is more tolerance of people who are experiencing gender dysphoria and are choosing to transition their genders. And that, you know, this is the same thing as what happened 50, 60 years ago, you know, where, you know, it was no longer kind of in polite company acceptable or beginning, I guess, maybe 40 years ago to to, to make the kinds of jokes that Rickles would make, even though Rickles continued to have a good career. But, you know, we look at it a little bit differently. So what do you say to that? Well, I think, first of all, they're more than welcome to do that. I also think, incidentally, First Avenue is
2: probably, you know, even though I think this is a really lame move on their part. They're probably on more secure ground than most places in doing it because First Avenue isn't known as a comedy venue. It's a concert venue. Chappelle is a big enough act that he doesn't he doesn't play small clubs. If he can't, he plays much larger theaters now. So he can play you know, like a nice mid-sized place like First Avenue, but they're primarily music. They're not comedy. If a, if a dedicated comedy club ever pulled a stunt like this. No one would ever work there again. Well, they have done this similar thing. Are you are you serious?
0: Well, I mean, are look, you look, telling look, me like like, not, like the like not, the, the, not, the
2: funny not. bone down down in like L.A. or someplace like that is preventing, you know, artists of the level well, of
0: Dave Chappelle from like hosting? There? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. because if that's news to me. And boy, I know I don't know. I miss things. I mean, there 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 was a controversy with Louis C.K., When he tried his comeback after, you know, the the Me Too stuff from a few years back. and I
2: almost almost put Louis C.K. in a little different venue myself precisely because, yeah, boy, you talk about gut calls. I find the nature of his offenses to
0: be just, ooh, that's different. That's a different caliber of bad to me than any 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 dumb thing that Dave Chappelle says. It's different because it's not a it's not a criticism of. It's not Louis CK is trouble for his jokes sexual misconduct he's, okay? not in, he's not in trouble for his jokes he's in trouble for his conduct so that's I suppose a little bit I, I think it is a, it's a colorable difference I think it's a I think you know
2: listen uh, you talk point. about you talk about you know do venues want to draw rules like this to be more tolerant? well I think that's fine and my only recommendation would be set some real bright line rules like that for example Louis CK I mean I, I don't really give. You know, I'm I'm not really invested in the kind of culture wars that, you know, people who fight over him are, but my attitude is you want to ban him from your place. That's great. And it makes perfect sense to do it because we can talk about a conduct line where it's just like, yeah, you actively, not what you said, but you actively did something terrible to another human being involving something that could be
0: charged as a crime. Then yeah, no. Okay. Fine. Well, what about Michael Richards, the actor who played Kramer and Seinfeld right. had an infamous thing like before all oh and, and this everything. is
2: why this is why discretion is its own thing you know but yeah, there's yeah. no bright line rule about michael richards it's just everyone recognizes first of all he wasn't good at it i always point out yeah this is, is he, he wasn't he was he, a great actor but not a great stand-up. Yeah. he's not a stand-up and so he was like yeah. totally lost and he yeah. was panicking in the moment because he just realized like i'm not cut out for this it was a very strange just, nobody ever links to that video i don't even know if you could find it on youtube anymore but it, you don't want to watch it it's bad not only because of the horrible things that he says but because you can just see the guy drowning you know in front of you just drowning like he can't handle it on stage and the hecklers are getting to him and he loses it so yeah do you want to keep him off of the stage well i think you're gonna do it because he's not good anyway but yeah you can do it because of that terrible thing he said that's like a public outburst though again that that's almost like slipping the professional mask when michael richards did that it wasn't like oh that's part of my routine that's my act i do this weird crazy thing no
0: he clearly like lost his mind well all right i mean i i don't know that he's i don't think he's 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 a racist i just think he 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 didn't understand how That would play. The greater point is that you you are correct when you said that there's no clear distinction
2: that you can make here, Gradation. and and therefore it's all discretionary. And so, in my discretion, I think this is just a cowardly move. Also, because, you know, you have to make a content analysis here too. You can't just say, oh, I've been told that Dave Chappelle says hateful things about transgender people, therefore he's part of the bad people, so coded, and therefore doesn't get to be on stage. What is the actual content of the things that he says and the jokes that he makes? A lot of it is really just sort of light poking fun at the you know ever curious or demands that are being made, you know, in the social sphere about like, you know, things like pronouns and the kind of stuff that stand-up comedians talk about in their routines all the time. But we're suddenly not allowed to talk about it for these one, you know, this one sort of subset of people, which of course, to
0: any comedian who has F you money, the way Dave Chappelle does is an invitation to talk about it well he said it himself he say he said he he didn't want the theater in his high school in washington to be called the dave Chappelle theater he wanted to be called the freedom of artistic expression theater because he uh, he said i think quite eloquently that it, anything you tell me i'm not supposed to say means i have to say it be- in order to defend the right of, of artists i expression. didn't i know uh, that's that new netflix thing he has he's put yeah it, i right? think it's actually pretty it's not it's not a comedy. It, it, is, it, it, it's, the it's, it's, it's the speech it's the speech
2: he gave right and i haven't watched it yet it's so uh, i'm such i'm such a hypocrite because i recommended that my wife watch it and i <laughs> haven't watched it myself it's quite good but yes i'm glad to hear him making the exact point that i make which is it, it's catnip for a comedian that you you say this is a thing that you're not allowed to touch this is the the, the think of the, the 2001 a monolith that, you know, like you're scared to run up and touch it, you know, because it's dangerous. No, you're going to touch it. If you're told you're not supposed to, you, you, you're going to you're going to poke fun at it, that perceived authority. And so this is just another perceived authority that Chappelle is poking at. And of course, as I said, he doesn't have to worry about any kind of financial incentives anymore. He could just walk away. You know, he already walked away. He moved to Africa for like, you know, in the middle of this heyday you know for a decade so he's done it once he could do it again if he wanted to so he's got that ability to be completely free in what he says and i you know i envy him and i respect him for it too
0: well i want to i want to now shift to what i think is a kind of an interesting concept here and i want to get your thought on this sure if you remember in the it really kind of peaked in the early 1980s in part with the PMRC but there was a whole kind of moral panic about certain records not necessarily profane ones but there was one where like if you played judas priest backwards it would have satanic messages oh yeah and Wait, that- oh, it, it went hand in hand with like a whole
2: series of panics there was the satanic panic right there was the school child abuse which is also like linked with like supposed satanic rituals all of these things were just part of this sort of burbling brew of like weird like you know you know unspecified
0: cultural you know cultural discontents and one and one of one one of the arguments that was made by this was largely kind of socially conservative you know tipper gore the the wife of al gore was a big part of the pmrc Mm -hmm. which is the parental music what is it it and her favorite album purple rain there well exactly but one of the arguments that she made and others would make, is that, you know, if you hear this music which glorifies violence and and denigrates women, then the the children or the teenagers who listen to it will then conduct will then engage in antisocial behavior. And I cannot help but notice that this is an echo of the argument that we hear today from the progressive left that the Chappelle's jokes about trans people will somehow, through the ether, you know, make trans people feel so terrible about themselves that they will commit suicide. Hey, Eli, do you know why the the argument is made? Why is the argument
2: made? The argument's made because it has an instinctive and compelling intuitive moral force. And I think is in fact correct on if it's defined broadly enough. And we all understand it intuitively to be correct. We can all say to ourselves that somebody who spends their life As a child growing up exposed to like, you know, hardcore pornography, ultra violence, indifference to like, you know, you know, animals or the environment, casual cruelty and abuse is going to turn into a very messed up individual as an adult, simply because you are indeed to some extent And it's all, it's all like, you know, in in exact chemistry, it's not science, you are the product of your influences and your upbringing. So when Tipper Gore made that argument, people were like, yeah, okay, I guess I kind of see it. And then they thought, if you press it too far, however, you become a moral scold and you become basically a person who's impossible to deal with, because we do have to live, quote, in a society, which is the same mistake these people are making, Yet to a certain extent, culture does have an effect on people. It has an effect on social formation. I consider that to be a fundamentally conservative argument because although I don't really talk about it on our show or our podcast, I'm a fundamentally conservative guy. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, even if that that concept is being weaponized by the left, it's a concept that has a certain appeal because I think it gets at Hmm. an eternal principle. Yeah. Well, let me let me are the product of bad influences. The question is, you just are we are we resigned as a country that has made a decision to be free? To just say, like, yeah, Yeah. they're going to have to be some bad influences and we're going to tolerate that. Now, that is the more sophisticated answer. And that's where I would come down on. But I'm saying, yeah, the reason they go to this as their go-to weapon is that it is a blunt moral instrument. It has force and you can use it as a club because people on a gut level think, gosh, shit, maybe they're right.
0: You know, okay so that's interesting because I look at it as if you are positing Let's keep children out of it for a second. Sure. And by the way, it's interesting that the same people who would argue that a Dave Chappelle special could lead a trans kid to kill themselves are also the people who think that a trans kid needs you know should have access to puberty blockers right hormones i mean the, the argument is completely intellectually incoherent and yeah. as i pointed out it's pressing it way too
2: far when you right. say like nobody no kid kills themselves because of a Dave Chappelle thing they kill themselves because they're bullied at school or they yeah. feel like alone in, in their family they have no concept of like romantic attachment they don't know how they'll ever relate to another human being all the sorts of adolescent despair issues that like well, I mean, almost every kid basically goes through in one form or another, hopefully not as intense as that. So that's why kids do that. It's not because of Dave Chappelle. And so that's when you – if you press the argument too hard, you, you clown yourself. These people – They lose their cachet, their social cachet when they push it to these ridiculous heights. But that gets back to right back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, which is that as they feel this moment slipping away from them, this cultural moment turning and shifting, they're going to put their foot on the accelerator as the gas is running out of the car.
0: (laughs) They're going to speed up because they know there isn't a lot left in the tank. That is a that's a that's a I I love that thought, but I was just going to say that, like, we have to be pretty careful with this idea that, you know, I that cultural, you know, products are somehow response are, are somehow the equivalent of violence or, you know, are a source of unsafety or danger because that hey, is, is hey is nietzsche responsible for hitler i mean it's the yeah, same it, argument it's people the same argument right it's it's basically an argument against artistic expression and it's an art it's an argument against artistic expression and if you really take it to its logical conclusion you will not have art you will not have nope. people producing any art because you know we are treating basically the artist like a politician And And, and by the way, Eli, have you noticed that's why free societies tend to make better art? (laughs) Because because
2: art that's made under under social control tends to be very inert and dominated and has official narratives and does not have the spark of creativity or the ability to evolve and transcend and become something new. Hey, Prince ain't allowed under the Soviet Union. Okay, there's no prince in communist America. There's only like the, you know, the, the sort of factory mill approved sorts of expression. So yeah, I completely agree with that. And that's what I mean when I say that, like we have to acknowledge there is a reality that, that you know, these, what, what we think of as the moral scolds, the PMRC types, or even now the woke scolds are getting at. And that's why they keep going to it, that we do instinctively believe that, yeah, we are a product of the images that we see. And, and if there's no further, you know, evidence of that needed then to say, look, look at how much more casual we use vulgarity or we are with sexuality in 2022, just as a culture than we were in 1982 or 1992, it's, it's obvious. We lived through it, you and me. So we know that this is a real thing. And we know that kids these days are just weirder than we are about these things. They were shaped and formed differently. But that is the
0: price that you pay for a free society. And well, we're in agreement on the free society. But what I would say this is that what I don't think people understand is that if you consider to, if you consider T-Rex, Bowie and Prince art is the price you pay for or rather you, know, right.
2: you pay you get art. A uh, free society comes with art, and none of this is
0: possible. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that we exactly that's, that's right. But I'm saying if you if you understand that the forces of kind of content moderation, to use a horrible phrase today, or you know the the the, the people who would like to stifle culture, their targets before were the people who were the progenitors in some ways artistically of the idea of gender liminality or transgenderism, then that is, I hope the insight that a lot of people now on the progressive left will understand, not just that like, Hey, we sound like the moral scolds of the 1980s and the 1970s, but rather that their approach will mean that we will not get whatever it is that artist is going to sort of give uh, what art will move the culture in the future and they completely seem to have no appreciation or understanding of it and only see this as a question of safety, which is dispiriting. Although I am hopeful as you are, that maybe they're running out of gas and they're gonna push the accelerator, but their their moment is over, the pendulum is shifting, and that is a nice, that's a good thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, we agree
2: about that, but I'm just saying that, you know, every time we always predict that we've seen an end of the madness, you know, the madness persists. I predict the next big push is we're going to see some, some, some truly nutty things start happening within higher education. Well, that, they've already been happening. Well, I mean, we, we nutty things, as we say, have been happening constantly. But imagine escalation from here. And if you can't imagine what an escalation from here is going to look like, well, that, that, that's my point. Is that It's going to be nutty. And it's coming from there probably first because that's where they have the hammer lock.
0: Yeah, no, that's certainly true. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your time. This was a great interview. And I, don't usually talk,
2: I don't usually ever get
0: to talk politics
2: anymore. So it's kind of like almost strange
0: to be chatting about something that isn't music. Well, we will have you back, Jeff. Thank oh, you so much. It was my pleasure, Eli. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast, And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the
1: show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.